tonight. God's Word achieving God's purpose. God's Word is achieving God's purpose. Coming from the book of Isaiah, the 10th, the 55th chapter, the 10th through the 11th verse says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, that is, useless or without a result. Uh, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent sent it. There we see where God sends his word out for a reason. Every word that God speaks has a purpose and a reason he sent that word. Whether to convict, whether to draw, whether to condemn us or heart us, whether to achieve we have to find out, just go to God and ask Him about His Word and examine ourselves. I talked last week from the two verses before these about your thoughts are not like my thoughts and your ways are not like my ways. Yes. Do we think before we talk, before we say anything, before we pray to God, the words that come out of our mouth, the words that we hear preached, the words that are God's words, how often do we examine them? Because God has a major work going on and it's something far, far bigger than we realize what it is. And as in the beginning of Genesis, he said that he was going to reproduce himself. He was going to reproduce himself says let us make man in our image and after our likeness and we know Jesus Jesus, when he came he said the spirit doeth yet work so in the broad generalities we see in the opening chapters of Genesis God giving man the dominion God giving man the rule but we see where man disobeyed God where man fell into depravity And God wants to assure us that we understand just where he's headed with this, uh, with what he's doing in the world. There is a purpose. The world is not circular, just going around and around. It's headed somewhere. We're all headed somewhere. History is not circular. But there's a purpose and there's an end result to where God's headed. He is headed with his word so that we can begin to process the information that comes along later in the book, we get a clearer understanding from generation to generation. God's word through his spirit clarifies what God is doing. I remember Daniel, when he told Daniel to seal up the prophecy of the end times and go his way. But we see later on, where he brought a little bit more light to it in the book of Revelation. He left it as an open book. He left it as an open book. So we see, as I said in the beginning, in Genesis 1.26, God creating man in his image. And he tells us in Genesis 2.15 that we must spend our time dressing and keeping what he has given us dominion over. 
and that is the earth. That purpose hadn't changed. Man has changed, but God never changes. God is changeless. So the same purpose he had intended then, that same purpose that we're headed for now. So we want to see what happened along the way. And this is just the beginning of a mini-series. He also instructs us to choose life cautiously, remembering the two trees in the garden and to avoid sin and death with the utmost of energy. In other words, Adam made up the tree of good and evil, which was disobedience. But God had also gave, given man every other tree of the garden to eat of. So we see where God blesses man. God has blessed man. God had gave man, uh, how can I say it, the propensity to grow and to become like him, to be reproduced in his image and his likeness. But man was lacking from the beginning because of his disobedience. And we've all sinned like Adam and Eve and Cain, and we find ourselves in bondage to Satan, whom we have made our master through ignorance and sin rather than God. But we see where God invited us to his word. He invited us and redeemed us right from the beginning. You remember he promised a redeemer. He promised to put man back in right standing with him. So we needed redemption. In Genesis 3.15, God is already talking about a Savior that would come and crush the head of the the serpent. So right from the beginning, he gave man hope. He gave man hope just as he gave Abraham hope in the fact that he made him the father of many nations. And with Abraham, we see where God changed to where he was going to operate in faith. He was going to operate those that believe God, trusting in God. You remember I told you how close a word that word faith was to trust and believe God. It says Abraham believed God and God counted him to, it to him for righteousness. So by believing God, we see the choice there. God puts good life and death before us. Adam had life and death before him because if he'd have chose to believe God instead of Eve and Satan, he would have had life, but he didn't enter into life because he chose what Satan said. He disbelieved God. He he wasn't deceived. He deliberately transgressed God, whereas the woman was deceived. Uh, it is all here but it is spelled out much more specifically throughout the rest of the Bible as the people had told Isaiah that he preached line up on line, here a little and there a little. God has given us his word. He had given us preachers and teachers and everything to give us a clarity to his word. So we see that in the beginning that let us make man in our image and our likeness also could be using man as a co a co heir, a co a co worker with him. He's using us to help. And in the church in the last days in the church we see that where he gave gifts unto the church 
for the perfecting of the saints, to, for the edifying of the church and for building up the church, that it be without a spot or a wrinkle. But as in John 17 chapter, it was going to be through the word, through the apostles' word, the word that Jesus had given to those apostles, those that believe on him through their word. So here and again, belief and faith comes into motion. Uh, God's purpose is for us to be made in his image and his likeness. We, we knew that from the beginning. He said it, made a statement. Then in Corinthians, what it is, third chapter, of the let me say this like a believer. Huh? And yeah, I remember the president said it's two Corinthians. But in second Corinthians, the third chapter and the 18th verse, it's clearly stated there where he says, where he says that we are being transformed from glory to glory, from the glory of man to the glory of God. We're seeing through this mirror darkly. But what what's transforming us? It's his word. His words go accomplish. I just read it to you. His words go accomplish the purpose that he sent it to do. That word has a purpose. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. That word spoken so effectively in the beginning, we see God spoke the world into existence. So we see there's nothing more powerful, powerful than God's word. And that's why he continued to tell his apostles and us to preach the word, to teach the word. Everything revolves around the word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not pass away. His word is an agent there. We, we see something that's accomplishing something. It, it's being done by the spirit or through his spirit but with a lot of other elements. You remember I told you it's a whole lot of elements to the Word of God. And so you always, you talk about eating and the table is set and we go feed the people. But just how good is eating? How good is eating? Eating is very good. It satisfies and nourishes the soul. But we see where I talk about it in our, the Our Father prayer where he says, give us this day our daily bread. So that bread and that word that I'm talking about, that we talk about there, means to be, seems to be a spiritual bread. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So we see a difference in two different breads there. At the beginning, I, I, I went to the middle of this chapter about our thoughts and it's not like his thoughts and his ways because Satan changed that and the, the depravity of man thinks along another line. But we see at the beginning of this chapter, the 55th chapter we talked about and studied in Bible study, that God makes a general call to his people. A general call to the banquet. A lot of people talking about the wedding supper of the Lamb. But God makes a general call to salvation. He says, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, he says, Say here, Ho, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. So you can't buy this. Uh, Jesus said, as he, on the day, the last day of the feast, that great day of the feast, he says, If any man would come unto me 
and drink and, and believe on him as the scripture had said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So when he's drink says drinking, he's meaning ingesting the scriptures. Because he says, if any man believe upon me, that go belief again. If he believeth upon me as the scripture had said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. These waters will cause others to live. These waters is something that waters throughout eternity. It's like the rivers that flow through the Garden of Eden. He says, come, take your choice of wine and milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for groceries that do you no good? Listen, and I'll tell you where to come to get good food that fattens the soul. I'm going to show you a good place to eat. I'm going to show you the best eating place in town. It says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I'm ready to make an everlasting covenant with you to give you all of the unfailing of the sure mercies and the love of King David, that Davidic covenant. He's inviting us. Now, who's the king over the Davidic covenant? That David was a type of Christ, so it's the everlasting covenant of Jesus Christ. It's with Jesus Christ, these mercies that he showed unto David. Because you remember, he established David. Read, read back in this chapter now where he established with him an everlasting covenant, where he would establish his house throughout eternity. God's establishing us. He's going to establish us with him throughout eternity. Uh, it contains an appeal continuing the theme that there's a spiritual food that nourishes the inner man and fills one's life in a way with abundance that all a person's material needs cannot satisfy. Uh, Book of Matthew, John says, why labor for that bread that doesn't satisfy? You get to a point where you start not being satisfied with the things of life. A lot of people end up taking their lives because the world no longer has appeal to them. There's no way out and nothing satisfies them in life. Solomon got to that point in a material sense intellectually and that's before he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes you remember he wrote vanity all is vain and vexation of spirits because he had viewed life as one under the sun laboring under the sun without life having a connection to God you have to have a relationship a connection with God else you don't see eternal life or continuing life you see that there's nothing better for a man to do it and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the attitude of disposition. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you see that you're only laying a foundation as a preparatory period that God is getting us ready for eternal life with Him. A life without end. So you're not under the auspicious of Solomon's lack of hope lack of of, of, of of something that drives him because he had consumed and had everything that he could have and he found satisfaction in none of it. They say he had several hundred wives and 300 concubines and he hadn't found one good woman. 
leads me to believe that he wouldn't find him if he went through all of those. But the problem was with Solomon. That God is speaking about his word as seen in the word, listen. He says, listen, which is directly connected to the phrase, eat what is good. Keep in mind that word, listen, because it changes from the Old Testament from listen to hear. To hear. This food is, of course, spiritual, and its source is God. Remember, Job says he desired more than his necessary food. That word of God, when you find out that you have to have that for inner substance, just like when you fast and stay away from physical food, there are outward characteristics and inward characteristics of your body starting to feed upon itself, of lack of energy, uh, different things happening when there's no nourishment. Well, the same thing happens when a man is born again and lacks spiritual nourishment. That's why Adam, he died the day that he ate of the fruit because he died spiritually. There was no connection with God. He was physically alive and he lasted some 900 years, but there was no spiritual connection with God. We have to have a spiritual connection. That's why a lot of people in the church... They're so sad and gloom and always miserable and try to make other people miserable because they don't really truly know God, so they don't have any hope. They don't have any expectations of another life. They don't have expectations of nothing happening, of the promises of God coming in. A time, in God's Word, it says it's going to be a time where the young man of the baby would die being 100 years old. In that millennial reign, so how long would the older people live? We're talking about hundreds of years as they did during the time of Methuselah and other times if you're looking for a millennial reign of Christ, if you actually believe God's word. You see, that's the thing about the word. There's a purpose the word was sent for, and it takes it's going to take a while for that, that to develop. It takes a while, and that, that's what the patience in the Word of God shows us. He says, come and buy, not with money. So the sacrifice has to be other than buying. You know, our economic level couldn't determine whether we know God or not. See, some people that would be rich would be able to buy salvation as the rich man in Davies, where when he died, he was asking for Lazarus to send somebody to cool his tongue because Lazarus was carried to the breast of Abraham in the bosom of Abraham let me say it that way but so you know salvation is here it has to be something else you can't purchase this food with material well recall that the five foolish virgins in Matthew 25th chapter are advised to go out and buy all from those who sell in preparations for the coming of the bridegroom. For they said, we shall not give you any of ours, for if we do, we won't have enough for ourselves. Go buy from them that sell. In other words, they was in a, a predicament there. Now, it did say that they were all brides, so they were all in the church, but apparently they hadn't made preparations to make a backlog to whereby they can live off of. 
They didn't continue. The scripture says, if you continue in my work, continually being filled. It's like the squirrel or the ant that labors consistently storing up. Without meditating on God's word and hiding God's word in, in your heart, sometimes you devolve to physical means. That's why a lot of times when spouses fighting or children and parents fighting or different things going on, somebody has devolved into the physical. They may be in church, they may be a follow, say they're a follower of God, but they devolve into the physical and what comes about, as I was watching a show the other night, what comes about is cannibalism. They start to feed off one another with vices of this world, things of this world, and not what spiritual means. They're not using the techniques God has what God's doing, I said, making us in His image, in His likeness, that's what the Word is achieving in those that are obedient to God's Word. God's Word is just as essential to spiritual life as food is to physical life. It's just as essential. So God's Word has a purpose, but those that are, uh, are not repentant to those that are not truly converted the word of God hardens their heart. That we are living in the day of hard-hearted Christians. That's some of the worst people to deal with is people that know the word of God but aren't converted, aren't repentant people. It's accomplishing a purpose now. That's why Pharaoh, the word continually, Pharaoh continually was hardening his heart. The Pharisees continually hardened their heart toward Jesus even though they knew the word of God. He says, in them you think you have eternal life. See, because man is so hung up on being self and physical that the physical man tries to overcome the spiritual man all of the time. If you don't watch it, he'll do his pain. He told me, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You'll sit there and go to sleep in church. You'll sit there and go to sleep because... You're not receiving that something that's feeding that inner man. You see what I'm saying? Yes. See, if you was at a table of, of, of something that you really liked to eat, you would eat until you just sit back almost back to birth. Well, it's the same with the Word of God. If you come in with a hunger for the Word of God, God's going to fill you. That's why it says, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness... He's not going to give his word to someone that's not using the word. You, you have to be accountable to that he gives you. And he's not going to continue to pile more on. Do not give that which is holy unto the dogs or they'll end up wasting and, and trampling it underfoot. Those are the people that come in and try to use the scriptures against God's people. That's why some preachers and some teachers are so hard, so marine-like to come over and pound people in the ground with the Word of God. A lot of people use scriptures as a sword to cut your neck off with and to beat you into the ground with. Growth by the Word. The Word is set to grow up. Matthew 4 and 4, but he answered and said... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. 
So there is a dimension to life apart from food and water, and that dimension is given life by the Word of God. That's why when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was sustained by the Word of God. That's why you really can't fast if you don't have a spiritual life. Those people that fast without being spiritual, uh, without God in that, it only heartens them in their resolve that they have achieved something and they had did something. It strengthens the physical man and not the spiritual man if it's not a fast that God's in. If it's not a fast that God's in. God's word, apart from God's word, it God's word provide its strength and ability to grow. That's what nurtures you is God's word. Paul talked about the milk of the word, and you ease the milk on the word to those that are young, but there's a certain time when you have to grow past that milk to start using the meat of the word. The same thing that my grandchildren ate when they six months old. The mama have to move that diet up to after a while she have to start feeding them table food. And after the table food, they get to a point when they're a few years old or whatever and eating kids' meals and things from McDonald's until they get to a point my, my, my little, one of my little grandsons said, well, Papa, I want chicken with a bone in it. In other words, he didn't want no more chicken nuggets or this you know, padded chicken or whatever. He wanted the actual meat of a chicken. He, I was over at his house one time and they had some chicken. They said, I know what piece I want. And they were going too slow for me. He reached in there and got a big thigh out of there. He said, this is what I want. He showed us that piece of meat that he wanted because he wanted something actually to nourish him. And meat nourishes the soul. That's why God gave us a meat-based diet after the flood. You remember, at first he gave us every herb-bearing seed, but then after the flood, we were on a meat-based diet. Something changed. The Word of God adds an absolute vital dimension to a person's life if he wants to live the abundant life and eventually have eternal life. That's the only way you can get it is in, in the Word of God. That we have life, and there's a... I'm thinking that we're coming into that time to we, where we're about to see spiritual man when man really starts to believe the Word of God and obey the Word of God and becomes all God had designed him to be. That time is here where the reapers are going to overtake the source. In other words, where the benefit, if you look at the last two verses, three verses of this chapter where everything becomes fruitful and there's going to be a reversal of the curse instead of the thorn, the fir tree or the cedar trees. Things are going to go toward prosperity because the manifestations of the sons of God. We're going to start actually using the word of God and believing the word of God coming into that fullness that he preaches here. I'm not on it tonight, but read on to the what it is the 11th, the 12th, and 13th verse. When tempted by Satan, Jesus quoted that verse that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, and stop living by the material things, but by the spiritual. And he's going, while we seeking the kingdom of God, all of those other things will be added to us. 
God's word is just as essential to spirit life as the food is to physical life. Just as one must discipline himself to provide and eat physical food, so must one exercise discipline to seek and ingest spiritual food. It takes a while, and that's why Paul said he didn't give them meat because they weren't able to eat it, the strong meat of the word. Preaching and teaching, sometimes you have to go at it easier, and that's what I was telling you instead of like Marines hitting the beaches, because there are there is some deep portions of the word of God that we have to grow into that's going to repel a lot of other people. It's going to repel new converts because they will be just like the people that was following Jesus. They say, this is a hard word you speak. Who can receive it? They hadn't came to a point where that they were marshaled into the word of God, that they eased into the word of God. He told his disciples, I have much to tell you, but you're not able to receive it yet. There are a lot of people want you to tell them what's on your mind. A lot of times you say, well, I ain't going to tell you that or whatever. And sometimes people force you to tell them something. They get hurt. They get repulsed. They get upset at you. And you ask, why did you make me tell you? Why did you keep forcing me to wow? didn't want to tell you this? It happens between spouses more often than not that something that's hid and they say, well, I just don't want to hurt you with this. A lot of times people hold back things to stop from hurting the other a little bit later in life that they can receive these things. Sometimes children, the parent don't tell children why or different things and they just say it's because I said so. Or we're not. But a little bit later on, you can go into these things because you're more on an adult level. You're more to where you can consume these things. It's not that you didn't want to give them state because you just was hateful to them, but you might choke on it. Wait till you get strong teeth and learn how to eat and enjoy this and appreciate this. If one will not do this, then just as physical health will decline without adequate food, a person's inadequate spiritual diet will lead to spiritual disease. It was one of the reasons I told you about the church I used to attend where he kept preaching Acts 2.38 and he kept preaching certain things and I'm saying, I need to go deeper in the scriptures. I need a sharper blade. You know, Paul's told uh, the writer of Hebrews say, laying aside the doctrine of laying on hands and of baptism, let us go on to perfection. In other words, there's a lot of the word of God that after we lay a foundation that we start building up on that word of God. It builds a beautiful building. God is building us a spiritual house. But just as during the time of Adam and Eve, it took all of these thousands of years to get to the point where God's word that bring it light, that this light is getting brighter toward this end. This is a clear understanding. He says knowledge will increase. This knowledge will increase. So the assimilation and feeding process, that's like I said, you, you have to be able to assimilate this food. And it's no use you taking certain vitamins or whatever and your body is not assimilating those vitamins. If you're over-consuming them, 
they're going out in the drought, uh, they're going through your waist. Uh, if your body's not assimilating sometime, you have to take certain other things to help you digest certain foods or things. Your body no longer can assimilate that. And just like you feed yourself fiber to help move along your internal system sometime, the Word of God is was a process God put His people through. He explains that in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Second and third verse, he says, And you shall remember always all the ways which the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, that is, what was in your mind, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and allowed you to be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know. It was this bread that they didn't know of. They didn't know what manna was. Now that your fathers know so that he might make you understand by personal experiences that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what Jesus repeated to the people some thousand years later. That man does not live by bread alone. The Old Testament was a shadow. And now we have that same thing going on in the church where people is quoting the scriptures and talking about the word of God and this process hadn't taken up. The word of faith is nothing new. The word of faith people and the people in the word of faith act like that's something new. Noah was saved by grace. Abraham was the father of faith. We're the children of Abraham who are the children of faith. That's the only way we can be saved is by the hearing of faith. That's how faith comes, by hearing the word. Right? So it's nothing new under the sun here, Solomon said. It's just assimilation. So it was some 40 years in the wilderness that God was testing them. And now this generation wants things overnight. That's why some of their marriages are the way they are. That's why some of the jobs, that, that's why the situation, we're at a tipping point here. Those of us that the Word of God is not having effect on, we're not seeing that we're at a tipping point here. And God's people are growing. That, that's why I say it's achieving what God sent it to. This is one of the earliest references to this parallel of eating spiritually and physical. Like I said, Jesus brings this back up. God intended Israel's experiences in the wilderness to instruct the Israelites that all of life, both physical and spiritual aspects, depends on God's providence. God has to be within both of them, physically and spiritually. In the book of First John, it says, I wish and I hope that you prosper and be in hell. So he wants prosperity. The prosperity gospel is nothing new. Abraham prospered. Job was prosperous. We, we're not talking against prosperity. And that's why I said prosperity is going to come. Length of life is going to come. Health is going to come. That was a principle in clean and unclean foods. But we know that food doesn't commend you to God. Can you extract the principle from that? Can you assimilate what God's word was trying to get over to you here. These verses also confirm that leading a good life, an abundant life is dependent upon one's spiritual, mental, and emotional base. 
And that's where areas I may have failed my children growing up or whatever. But it's all in God's hand. We can't beat ourselves to death over something that we now see. Now that I'm in my 60s, some things that I see that I can try to pass back on to them, but it's hard to talk to your children. It's more easier to teach and preach to other people. Let them be in some other church or go with somebody else because they don't want to listen at you. And a lot of times it's hard to talk to your spouse. It's a hard to get familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus' people didn't follow him. Now you know that, didn't you? They came to get him out of the house. They thought he was crazy. And they said, who's who's my brother, mother, and sister but those that do the will of my father? You see, because nepotism comes into play there and just because people say, now this ain't this Jesus. Don't we know him? Didn't he grow up right there and his brothers and sisters right over there? They was too close to him to see who actually he was. God's word has that effect. Before we be like the disciples on the road to Emmanuel and say, didn't our hearts burn within us that whole time they didn't realize who Jesus was until he removed the veil to now they could see him for who he was? God's could be the appear the grace of God's could be and appear to many of us, and we could be like in the Song of Solomon. Our beloved was there beating on the door and trying to show us love, and we could be and slip right through it. These elements of the mind determine one's outlook, goals, and reactions to a myriad of vicissitudes of life. There's a lot that a parent tries to instruct their children and everything in that don't you pray that the people that your children are around or respect, that's why a parent kind of wants their children to be around good friends or if they could be in a church around a good church or whatever because a lot of times they may ask their friends before they ask you. They'll listen at other people before they listen at their parents. They'll listen at some of their friends' parents before they listen at their own parents. But that shouldn't get us. We're like Jesus Christ. He was used to being betrayed, rejected, and not not desired. He was a man had no form of comeliness where people would desire him. All of them rejected him and left him. He was only left with the 120 disciples and every, all those crowds and multitudes that he had fed had left him. And then at the cross and that night in Gethsemane, all of his disciples fed away. You have to get used to hoeing this row alone sometimes. You have to get used to walking this way, but without being bitter and hateful. God's Word is working in you. It's doing, it has an effect on you if you're hearing it preached. That's why we have to be under good preaching and teaching. That's why a preacher has to be committed to preaching God's Word. These verses confirm that God directly leads us into, us into many of them as a means of instructing us, producing double or dual results. First, to experience them and to develop certain characteristics. Second, to test us so we can see where we stand and how we cope. You have to test products to see how they bear up in an actual situation. You can't just not test something and put it on the highway. You have to test it. That's why when you see them pouring concrete in all these interstates and everything, 
there's test cylinders that you see them little round circular concrete things that they be having. Those are test cylinders that they put in between pressure machines to see how much pressure those pieces of concrete can take. So before they put that hundred million dollar concrete bridge across that, whether it's going to stand up under these pressures, whether the concrete is right. Well, God's going to take us through many a trial and tribulation. It's imperative in our lives that God take us through that because you never know what a man is, can endure until you throw him in the fire. We're going to be tried as by fire. But the testing of our faith is much worth much more than gold. God has tested us then we'll know that, you know, the testing is really to prove to us. When it says God tried Abraham, he tried Job, and it, it, he didn't tempt them. He knew that Job would go through this, but he had to send Job through that. And that's why Job says, now I understand. Now I see. It caused my children's life. It caused me to lose everything, but now I understand God better. God has to put us through some things before we can go tell somebody else. Before I can get up there and preach, a lot of times after preaching or before preaching, I say, you know, I, I was preaching about this last week, or this is what I'm going to preach. Now I see. You, you, you want to have that experiential knowledge of things. A major problem is that human nature compels us to focus almost totally on the physical, and we can't walk by faith, we have to walk by sight. We need security. God provides us with wilderness experiences to let us know that there's a spiritual aspect to life that requires feeding and maintenance. So all of this is necessary. Prayer, Bible study, meditation, and obedience are the assimilation process. That's the spiritual process. So if you're not Praying at home, if you're not coming to corporate prayer, you're lacking in an area that's meant to spiritually strengthen you and assimilate you into God's way of life, his character. Jesus rose up early in the morning to go and pray. But it was when his disciples, after they asked him, teach us to pray. Then he taught them how to pray. But then prayer came through the trials of life when things get hard that's when you cry unto the Lord notice how many times in the Bible he says when you cry unto me that is when you don't have a way out when your children curse you to your face when you laying there by yourself and fear rejected and nobody wants to help you maybe you'll turn to God at that time and cry to God maybe you'll see and understand at that time but then to some people, it hardens them. Instead of turning to God and talking to God, that person better not cross their path. That child or that parent better not come to them. That individual, or they going to really give them a piece of their mind. Why? It hardens them. Sometimes situations harden them. It doesn't change us. God brings these things into some people's lives that they cry to God and it creates a change in their life. It has an effect. Some it's going to harden. Some it's not. Study. How many churches? You remember I say that little church that we passed 
when we're leaving here sometime, are they still in or whatever? How many people are in Bible study constantly two or three times a week or through the week studying the Word of God? He told Timothy, give yourself to study. You can't just talk this talk. You have to walk it. Meditation. How many of us meditate on God's Word? Are we thinking, uh, every show you watching, are you trying to see the spiritual side that maybe that writer wrote something there? Maybe it wasn't his intent, but God gives you a spiritual spin on what's going on in that show? Because you need to go out of this world. You can't just watch that. And some of these shows that they put on by Christian people or whatever, I, you know, I want to throw up talking about watching some of them. Sometimes some of the other shows do a little bit better for me to make me think better. Because some of the Christian people show me a world of false piety, a false world of false people because the Spirit's not in those things sometimes. Obedience. And that's why I say we're Adam-like. That's where we have to. That's the experiential knowledge out in the world. Are we obedient to the Word of God? That's one reason we're kind of alone now. Are we obedient? Obedience is part of that. This feeding assimilation process requires a relationship with God. Worship. Worship in Him. Spiritual weakness appears as does sin appears. Some of the manifestations is anger, irritability, exasperation, depression, discouragement, melancholy, despondency, gloominess, bitterness, hatred, resentful, self-pity, hopelessness, despair, paranoia, envy, jealousy, family conflict, arguing, divorce, drunkenness, different other addictions, competitiveness, and self-centeredness deepens. All of these are manifestations of spiritual weaknesses. That's why Paul says that the works of the flesh and those that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because for each of those things that you're going through, God has a spiritual answer to that in His Word. And His Word alleviates a lot of these psychological, philosophical manifestations where Satan comes in and depresses the individual. In Deuteronomy 8, God merely states that life has psychological aspects and does not indicate whether bread of God's word is more important. But if we see as we go along that his word is more important. It's more necessary. That's the life of the body. But we see that spiritual, we can't neglect physical food. I'm not saying that. Just as Paul says, bodily exercise profited little. Does not say exercise doesn't profit at all. It only states God's word is needed for life. Without God's word, we have no life. We have no life abiding in us without his word, unless that word is abiding in us. By drawing attention to everlasting life in John, the sixth chapter, 
26 to 27 verse, Jesus clarifies that what goes into the mind for processing and assimilation is far more important than what goes into the stomach. I didn't. The quality of what enters the mind will be the major factor that determines the quality of life. So I'm not saying that we don't watch some entertainment, but we have to watch the quality of entertainment and the things we hear and what we're watching. But we also have to keep putting in the word of God. Jesus first emphasizing using the imperative tense that we should strive for food that endures, that satisfies. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's what we do hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So after we fill up on that, after we study God's word, we pray to God, meditate and obey God and through the day. After the end of the night, I'm not saying there's something wrong with sitting down watching television or watching a good movie or doing something entertaining. You understand those things? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He wants us to recognize the potential that God's Word has in our life. Merely reading God's Word and putting it into our mind is just the beginning of its usefulness that we have to be able to meditate on it and hide it in our heart that that's our first thought. That every thought is brought into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. Let's see where these other things are coming from. Let's process them through God, through God's Word. We must combine further actions to our reading because the word's ultimate effect does not magically happen. And that's what the people and the young people now are preaching religion from a magical standpoint. Now listen to what I said. A magical standpoint. I'm not saying supernatural. Because you have to have the supernatural come in to change you, to cause you to love. The supernatural is what's converting you. In other words, the spirit. This is this is this doesn't come by the natural man. You understand? And I'm not talking about anything. So that's why God says, try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Because it has to be a spiritual change. It has to be something that's exterior to you. It's the spirit that He had placed in you that's changing you. That's causing this change. It's not by magic. That's why Paul said, when I attempt to do good, evil is right there. It's a struggle. It's trial and tribulation to this. Principally, we must also believe it and to put it in action. Now, it contains, God's word contains seed corn. That is corn for the sore. Psalms 126 and 6 says, He who goes back and forth weeping, carrying his bag of seed, will indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, he who carries around the word of God. And the other day when you said, you told the guy when he was talking about trust, he said, well, what does the Bible say? And I asked you, I said, well, what scripture did you say? Well, what did the Bible say on that? And you say, you don't remember what you say. But it's important that when we use the word of God, that's our sword. When we pull that sword and use that sword, we have to make sure we sow in on good ground. Mark the fourth chapter, 14 through the 15th verse. I'm going to do two more pages here and I'll quit. 
It says, the sower sows the word of God that is the good news regarding the way of salvation. These in the first group are the ones along the road where the word is sown. But when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes a word which takes away the word which was sown into him. Remember I told you earlier about listen in the New Testament is here. In hearing. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. Now notice this sower sows the seed. This seed is the word of God. The seed. The farmer talked about it. it the farmer I talked about it in Anyone brings God's message. That's not just me, but it's you. If you said you use the Bible verses, we do the work of evangelists. So anyone that brings the word of God or the message of God, that's what's important, the word of God. So anyone, the farmer that's bringing God's word, tries to plant good seed within their lives. The hard pathway where some of the seed fell represents the hard hearts of some of those who hear God's message and Satan comes in, and you said after saying that Bible verse, I don't know what happened at the table after then, but did Satan come in and take that word that you had planted? Because when we plant the word, it says a bird of the air, and it, that picture Satan taking the bird away. When it say, says it fell on thorny ground, well, you may be in a bar somewhere. You may be at a get. You said yet you was happy. You didn't go to the get together or the drinking or whatever because some situations you can sow the word of God amongst thorny ground, and those other things choke the word of God out of there. So, the word of God has an effect, but it's a hardening effect. These people sometimes are worse than anything else. That's why when some people talk against the Jehovah Witness, the Catholics, or, or different denominations, is that they didn't heard the word, but as listening at the word, you have to look at the soil of the ground of the hearer. What's the hearer's motivation or objective, and what's God's purpose in that individual's life. So all you've done is sown the, the, the seed. So which was right, you should have sown the seed. Because back to that 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, Now he that ministered seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So by you using the word of God now, I don't know whether you're using it correct or not, but it increases your righteousness. And if that person uses that word of God, they grow in it, and it's counted to your benefit as one that soweth or help them grow. And God adds on to you. He prunes you and makes you better at delivering the word. That's why some people that don't go around witnessing the word don't tell others about the word of God. They never do. They become turned inward. Their church members that come in and sit on the pew, they never witness to their friends or nobody else because there's no exercise of use. There's no practicing or rehearsing God's word. So you can't get 
fluid in telling others about it. You never get comfortable uh, comfortable using the word of God, and you never can put the God's word into effect, even though you read and study or whatever. Your fear of man or your fear of others have caused you not to be fruitful in God. Not to increase fruit in your life. Not in its acts as a, 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 a weakener of your flesh. I don't want to get bogged down here. I've only got five minutes to go where I will go. But the word shall accomplish his purpose. What you have to do is get used to putting the word out there. So if you put that Bible verse out there, or you put the Word of God out there, if you know what the Word of God says, even though you said the Word of God, it's going to accomplish the purpose where God had sent it to, even though you don't know the purpose. It's a lot of times the preacher preaches, and people come in and say, Rev, I really appreciate that Word. It sure told me about salvation. It sure told me about this. And the preacher said, what, what did I say or whatever? Uh, what? Because that word has its effect on each individual. You know, a lot of times Sister Harris would come in and say, well, Pastor, that show did. And it makes the preacher feel good. But he's saying that, well, that's God working to me because I don't really know what I said to or whatever. Because if, she had, if you had been hungering and thirsting, God's going to cause you to go into a church and hear it on the radio or or hear it somewhere that that word's going to nourish you and strengthen you. Even though I didn't know what it did or what it was. That's why the false prophet, he has to preach the word. That's why false preachers, they preach out of the Bible because why? It's going to accomplish what it's doing. Even though you might have a lot of people in there paying the church bills and doing all this. There's a purpose. God has a purpose for the false prophet also. He has a purpose for the wheat and tares. That's why he said, let them all grow together. Because they all have to hear the word, even though that word's going to convict and condemn a lot of, well, you heard the word, but the reason you couldn't do anything with it, you were hard-hearted. But we all heard the same word. Habakkuk. This is the last one. And the Lord said to me, write my answer on a billboard, large and clear, so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell others. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. So here he tells a backup. Write the vision, make it plain. And that's when Habakkuk says that Jeff shall live by faith. But Habakkuk had said a lot of other things, but God had gave him a vision of the Babylonians coming in and destroying Israel. And that is what Isaiah preaching here, is that it's going to come a time, them same Babylonians that destroyed Israel and took them captive, that if you come unto him in hunger and thirst, I'll cause you to be fruitful and you'll go back and inherit the land. But there were millions of Jews that didn't go back to Israel to inherit the land. They got comfortable with the materialism that Babylon offered. They rejected the word of God. God's 
reminding Habakkuk that what goes out of his mouth comes back to him having fulfilled his purpose. So all you're supposed to do is preach the word. Preach it in season, preach it out of season. It's going to accomplish the, what God sent it to. It shall not return unto him void. Because what Mark says, he who believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But what's the next verse? He that believeth not shall be damned. Those same words. Either you believe and you'll be saved, or you don't believe and you'll be damned. But that same word either draw you or it'll drive you. Faith comes by hearing. Man is, God is not a man that he should lie. If he said something, it's going to come to pass. So we are looking to the promises of God. The hearing of His Word. We're built up on the hearing of God's Word. Now there's a lot I have to go into in the book of Ecclesiastes that precedes this. So let me stop right there. But the Word of God, we have to hear the Word of God. And it's going out of its mouth for a purpose. It's to achieve that. Don't be afraid to speak the word of God. But know it's having an effect. You might not see the effect. He told her backer, you may not even be alive when this happened. He says it's going to happen slowly and steadily. The time approaches when the vision shall be fulfilled. Abraham didn't see this in his day. A lot of us won't see it. But then I always preach and teach, you know, I think I'm going to be here when Jesus comes back. I'm going to be here to see the end of this thing. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, 